Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, Converts Edition. Quick warning, I am going to talk about suicide for a little bit here. So if that's not something you can handle right now, you should fast forward. Hello, people who didn't fast forward. So I am lucky enough to have a single moment that changed my life. Sometimes they're called white light moments. In 12-step programs, they're sometimes called a moment of clarity. But that doesn't quite capture what happened to me. You can hear the whole story of my suicide attempt and my decision to finally get sober in an interview I did with John Moe that we will link to in the show notes. The important part right now is that I woke up in the ICU and experienced a profound revelation that the universe had a plan for me and, at the very least, it wanted me to stay alive for a little while longer. I didn't believe that before. I didn't trust the universe. And then I did. And it's hard to explain the profundity of that thought in the moment. It's hard to explain how clear it was and how deep it felt. And unlike most thoughts, it has never quite left me. And I think it's the reason I've been sober since then, going on nine years now. If you've listened to the show at all this season, you know that the human brain just usually doesn't change, and it certainly doesn't change in an instant, except when it does. Andrew Newberg is a professor and the director of research at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital. He calls himself a neurotheologian, and among other things, he studies these sudden and almost inexplicable experiences of instant conversion. He is the author of many books, the most relevant to our discussion being How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. And he is coming right up. Dr. Newberg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the program. So the reason I wanted to talk to you is because we're doing a whole series on conversion experiences and converts. And I think one of the things that people think about when they think about conversion experiences is the white light experience. Tell me a little bit about white light experiences. Well, I think when you're talking about these very intense experiences, um, there are several different ways of describing them. Sometimes people refer to them as a white light experience, sometimes a conversion experience. Um, they might refer to them as a, a, a mystical experience uh, or an enlightenment experience. Um, in fact, we wrote a book called How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain and talk a lot about 
the ex- these very, very intense experiences that people can have. And uh, one of the things that, that's also interesting is, is that um, there, there seems to be a continuum of them in the sense that uh, sometimes we talk about like little E enlightenment experiences and big E enlightenment experiences. And the little E ones are kind of helpful to know about because a lot of people have experienced them. And, and those are these little aha moments that, that almost any of us can get uh, a variety of times throughout our lives when we're trying to solve some difficult problem or some, you know, just new way of thinking about something uh, comes to our mind and it just sort of like pops in there and, and we, we kind of go off in a new direction. Um, but those are, those are small. They just change the way you're thinking in the moment or about a particular problem. Whereas the kinds of experiences that you're talking about, um, these are transformational experiences. These are experiences that, uh, you know, that, that are identified by the person as being completely outside of the norm of our everyday life experiences and um, and there are certain characteristics that we can talk about that are part of those experiences, uh, but then ultimately, what is also essential about them is that they are transformative, and that they don't just change the way you know you think about a particular problem. They change the way you think about everything. They change everything that you know about the world and how you think about yourself and that and your relationship to the world. I'd never heard it put quite that way before. That the white light experience is sort of a. a maximal version of those times that maybe even could you even say like you remember where something is like that kind of like oh oh that's where it was or oh it is those are the same kind of thing inside your brain well i i mean obviously there's a great vast difference between them as well um but um but i you know the 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 idea that there's sort of this sudden answer that comes to you um, people have done interesting research studies where, you know, they give people a, a complex math problem, but then, you know, ultimately you sort of, you see it and then you get it. And there's that little aha moment that you get. And, you know, throughout history, there are very famous experiences, uh, great scientists, you know, struggling on some problem. And then, you know, something interesting happens to them. They have some dream or, or experience. And then suddenly, you know, the, the eureka phenomenon, so to speak, um, where, you know, suddenly they, they get it and they understand something in a different kind of way. So, so we're, we all have those, um, but, but it is the more intense, you know, spiritual, mystical, enlightenment kinds of experiences that, that people usually are thinking about when they talk about these you know, uh, conversion experiences and, and their conversion experiences because they change the way you think about everything. And they may change your religious beliefs, your spiritual beliefs, uh, maybe your political or moral beliefs. Um, you know, it, it, it radically shifts everything that you think about. So one of the reasons they're so interesting, and I, I'm sure you know this, but we've spent a lot of time talking with scientists on this show about how difficult it is for people to change their minds about things, right? Like that it's the brain resists such changes. So now what's going on with them? Well, you know, we have some ideas about it, but the bottom line is, is that we don't fully understand it because in what literally could be seconds it changes everything that a person thinks about the world. And we don't really have a perfect, you know, a good model for totally understanding how that happens. But there are certain things that we have learned over time by doing brain scan studies of people having different types of spiritual and and mystical experiences that give us some idea about what exactly is going on. And so, uh, you know, a lot of where we got some of our answers from was a survey that we ran that um, we published a lot of the data in in our book, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. 
uh, where we got about 2,000 people who provided information about these kinds of intense spiritual transformative experiences, these white light experiences. And there are certain kind of core components that seem to mark all of these experiences. Every one of them is unique, meaning that if you do, you know, when, when we looked at the narratives that of these 2,000 experiences, they were all over the place. <laughs> However, when we kind of started to group them together and looked at the way they described them, there were certain fundamental similarities between them. And what I mean by that is, for example, uh, one of the aspects of these experiences is that they have a tremendous sense of intensity. So, uh, you know, and that's, that, hence even the term white light. It's, it's not just white light, right? I mean, we all see white light all the time. You know, I'm sitting in a room now where I got white light on me. Um, that's not what they mean. What they mean is it's the whitest light they ever have experienced. It is the most, so, you know, whatever, whatever the elements of the experience are, whether it is something visual, uh, whether it's something that they hear, whether it is a, a feeling, an emotion, love, you know, whatever, um, it's the most that they have ever felt before. And that's part of what identifies it as being fundamentally different than our everyday reality kinds of experiences. So, so one, you know, right off the bat, it's something that goes way beyond anything that the person has ever encountered before. Now, another piece of this uh, experience is a sense of clarity. And I think that's, that piece of it may be the closest to answering your question, which is that most people will say, I now understood the world in a different kind of way. I, I got it. You know, like I always didn't know X, Y, and Z. I didn't understand religion. I didn't understand, you know, whatever. Now I get it. And so there's this sense of clarity that they never had before that they now have. And I think that sense of clarity is, you know, goes a long way to affect this kind of a radical change in their brain. Because as I said before, when we we're talking about how changes typically occur, we resist them because we feel like if we, if we go to something that's a different way of thinking, it's a new, it's something that we didn't know. It, it puts us in a, in a negative perspective in the context of the world. But this actually puts us in a very positive, in fact, more positive than we've ever had. Whatever we used to think we understood about the world is now completely supplanted by this new way of thinking. And this way is absolutely right. And it's not now, an oppositional thing. That's, that's it's, not, it's, it's like, it's not someone's arguing with me and I have to choose whether I'm right or not. It's, right. I have a completely different understanding. There's a sense of unity, which is an important element in these experiences. Um, the person feels more connected to the world, more connected to God, whatever, whatever the connection is, um, more at one with the world than they ever have before. And that's also part of what drives the power of these experiences, because they feel, you know, by, by connecting with the world in a fundamental way that they never had before, they also recognize that this new way of thinking is a, you know, quote unquote, better way of thinking than their old way. Uh, and, um, and, and, and then ultimately, you know, these experiences are transformational and they do, you know, uh, they do totally change the way the person looks at the world. And, you know, going back to, the earlier questions. Um, one of the big questions then ultimately is, well, you know, was, so was this way always sort of in the brain and, and now, you know, kind of like a computer game, you like have now accessed, you know, a new character or something like that. Um, or, or did the brain literally rewire itself 
in some short period of time? And and the, the answer at the moment is we don't truly know because it's extremely difficult to capture that exact moment when those things are all happening because one never knows for sure when that type of experience is actually going to happen to somebody. So just as a you know, layperson uh, thinking about this, I guess I would assume that there might be an element of intensity that causes these experiences, like a life-threatening situation or a, a big change. But I also know f- from reading around that there are also instances of people having these experiences just kind of like walking along. Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> and so, you know, in these 2,000 or so uh, examples, uh, that you know, people provided us the narratives, but they also we asked them all kinds of questions about themselves and about what happened and all that. And as you said, I mean, it, it, there are there are certain uh, triggers, if you will, you know, that that kind of help people to have these kinds of experiences. So certainly, um, like a near death state, um, when people have a near death experience, those are often these kinds of experiences. In fact, one of the one of the, the the main core elements of a near death experience is the realm of light. You know, with a, a, literally a realm of light where they sort of see the most brilliant, intense uh, visual imagery that they've ever seen. Um, so that that's definitely one. Uh, the proverbial hitting rock bottom, which is something that you see a lot, especially uh, in people with addictions and so forth. You know, that they just like the bottom falls out and they're just you know completely overwhelmed uh, with negativity, and then they have this experience. But as you said. Um, you know, there are people who strive for these experiences. They're the, you know, the monks uh, sitting on a mountaintop in Tibet somewhere who are trying to achieve enlightenment. And perhaps, you know, they achieve it in five years, 10 years, 30 years or never. Um, and then uh, some of my favorite examples were, as you said, the ones where the guy was just, you know, walking down the street or driving down the street. And suddenly, you know, the whole world just kind of changed for him. And, uh, and so, you know, we're we're learning. I mean, this is a a field of study called neurotheology, where we're looking at the link between our brain and and these kinds of intense spiritual experiences. And it, the way I tend to look at it is that there's this kind of complex network of, of structures in the brain that get involved in these processes, and you can access that network in a lot of different ways. So it's like you know. If you're getting into New York City, you know, you can take the tunnel, you can take the bridge, you know, there's, there's different ways of doing it. And so you can fly in in a helicopter. And, um, and so depending on how you get into this kind of network, uh, through a near death experience, a mystical experience, meditation, or, you know, whatever happens, you know, literally sort of getting hit by lightning walking down the street, um, there's something that activates this, this network in a way that it never got activated before. And then that's what leads to these experiences. So one of the things that I'm noticing in the way you describe these experiences is that they are overwhelmingly positive, right? They they feel not just good but fulfilling and satisfying and, you know, closeness with with everyone and everything. Yeah, well, let, let me let me say a couple things about it. Um first of all, you are correct that, you know, the the first of all, the large majority of these experiences, meaning like 90% of them or more are are very positive. And that was also part of the data that we got uh, when we looked at the surveys. We asked people, you know, how did this change um, your sense of spirituality and religion and your fear of death and your sense of, you know, meaning and purpose in life and so forth. And again, you know, like 80, 90% of people say that all of these things got better. Um, 
there is a group of people, you know, it's, it's small, but maybe four or five percent um, who who don't feel that these experiences are positive. And um, and and part of what I need to do as a neurotheologian um, is try to understand that. You know, we we don't fully get why some of these experiences just don't go well for people. Um, and and so you know that's that's part of what we need to look at. Um, and and part of what happens with a lot of these experiences where there's a bit of a mixture. Um, goes back to something I was saying a few moments ago that, you know, sometimes it's, it's a bit of a, you know, hitting rock bottom. So sometimes these experiences are a bit of a, you know, an intense mixture of desperation, uh, you know, uh, giving up as well as then kind of, you know, turning into this incredible experience of love, acceptance, you know, whatever the positive uh, emotions are. One of the other very powerful elements of these experiences is is basically what you said. I mean, I, I I talk about it as a sense of surrender, and um, you know, it's it's that you give yourself to the process, you give yourself to the experience. It's not you making it happen; it's it's happening to you, and you al- and you allow it to happen. And that is a very common piece to this, and 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 often does have. You know, that, that's also part of that very powerful transformative piece because it allows you to kind of think about how, you know, here you are struggling against something and you allow yourself to be part of, of what's going on. And, and as you said, I mean, and often, you know, the, the sense that the, that the universe will take care of you is, is that's partially a sense of, of unity, you know, that, that you're, you're kind of part of the universe and you're going to, you know, be part of that and it's going to carry you where it it carries you. Um, it's also, uh, that sense of surrender, as I said. Um, and, and, and as you said, and I think, you know, as you said, it it could be in a sense of okayness or a sense of love, you know, again, everybody kind of has slightly different ways of describing these experiences, but, but that's, that's part of the sort of the intensity element of the experience. But then the other is the transformation that occurs after that that changes the person and changes the way you look, not just in the moment, but, you know, arguably for the rest of your life. And, um, and so, and of course, people who have had these experiences, um, you know, uh, one other piece to this, which I, I kind of put into that sense of clarity, but I'll, I'll change the word a little bit, um, which is the sense of realness. Um, and that, you know, these mystical experiences, and this is part of what got me so interested in all of this in the first place is that these experiences um, are not viewed as, you know, I hope I can say this right, it's not that they're viewed to be as real as our everyday reality that we perceive you know, on a daily basis, but they are perceived to be more real than our everyday reality, that there's something more fundamental that we have tapped into that we now are connected to and that that transforms who we are in a, in a very different way than with any other kind of experience. But it is, I mean, it, it, it's when you combine those different elements together, it seems like that transformation, you know, literally rewires the brain in such a way that unless you have, you know, arguably another one of those kinds of experiences, um, you're, you're now going to look at the world in this new way. And so it really, it does take, you know, it, there, there's a stickiness to it, so to speak. That, uh, and, and again, you know, when we ask people about the realness of the experience, even people who've had that experience, you know, 40 years ago 
And even though they've been living, you know, among all of us, you know, the, the rest of the world all the time, they still recognize that as being the, the most fundamentally real experience of reality that they've ever had. And of course, sometimes that can lead to more of a religious or spiritual perspective. Um, but, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it's, uh, you know, philosophically, it's an epistemological perspective that we understand reality differently than we ever had before. And we understand it better than we ever did before. We're going to take a quick break for some advertisements. What if you could actually do good for the world by making a purchase with your debit card? What if every time you swiped your card, a tree was planted? What if you were rewarded with up to 10% cash back every time you bought something that helped people or the environment? There's a bank alternative that's making that happen. It's called Aspiration. With an Aspiration Spend and Save cash management account, you can do better financially while creating a better future for the planet. You can earn up to 1% annual percentage yield on savings, and your deposits won't fund any fossil fuel projects like pipelines, oil drilling, and coal mines. Also, you can round up your change to plant a tree every time you shop with your debit card. Save money, save the planet. To open your Aspiration Spend and Save cash management account, text FRIENDS to 64000. Do it now for your future. Open your Aspiration Spend and Save account by texting FRIENDS to 64000. That's FRIENDS to 64000. I want to tell you about a new podcast I think you'll like. It's a strange story, a kind of different sort of crime podcast. It is about a cocaine smuggling ring that was run in part by a music editor at Vice Media. Cool Mules tells the story of how this guy, Slava P, used his influence, his position, and Vice's brand to solicit models and DJs and aspiring journalists to traffic huge amounts of cocaine for him. It is reported and hosted by an old friend of mine, Kasha Mihailovich. We work together at MTV. She is awesome in many ways. I am so excited for her and for the show. It's about more than crime. It's about the gig economy. It's about the history of Vice. And it's about what you can get people to do when you pay them in coolness and cred. This podcast is gripping, it's bingeable, it's getting rave reviews. Subscribe to Cool Mules wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, you might feel like your kids' summer vacation started way early, if you've been at home together all this time. But actual summer vacation is here, and learning does not have to stop for summer, and it can be fun. KiwiCo can deliver a science fair or an art class right to your door, or in my case, to the door of my nieces and nephew where I am conducting a little bit of a subversive experiment. See, my in-laws are somewhat conservative, so I've been doing this thing where I send my nephew, like, arts stuff and creative stuff like that, and I send the girls science and engineering stuff. Like, I don't know if they've noticed this or not, but it's, it's, it makes me feel good and also a little sneaky in a very good way. The crates change all the time, too, so I can continue this experiment if I want to. There are new things to keep your children busy and challenge, especially during these long summer days. KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time together tackling projects at home. 
There are different crates for different kids of all ages, so there's something for every kid on the list. And there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel any time. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Parade. Parade was launched by two best friends, Cami and Jack, in October of 2019. Cami, the CEO, is a first-generation Latina. All of their underwear starts at $9 and is made with a breathable cotton liner and is packaged in 100% compostable packaging that biodegrades within 300 days. Their replay style is made from recycled nylon yarns, and for every sale made, 1% goes to Planned Parenthood. Parade features four unique core styles, the thong, the boy short, the cheeky, and the brief, in addition to their high-rise thong and high-cut thong with sizes ranging from extra small to 3XL. With Parade, you have the option of choosing from over 20 different colors, so you truly select the style and look you love best and flatters you the most. You can even match your outfit to Parade if you want to. Their underwear is truly buttery soft and designed to never dig in or roll down. They've been featured in Refinery29, Hype Bay, The Zoe Report, Forbes, BuzzFeed, Man Repeller, Fashionista, Yahoo, Seventeen, Paper, Nylon, The Cute, Allure, and In Style. Selena Gomez even wore the parade scarf in her cover shoot for Dazed. Go to yourparade.com slash WFLT for 25% off four or more pairs. That's yourparade.com slash WFLT for 25% off four or more pairs. Yourparade.com, you get the idea. See site for details. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip all those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save money with discounts you cannot get at the post office. And as if that wasn't enough, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts of up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. You also get a lot of other services that aren't mentioned in here, including like a handy email for when your package is picked up and when it's delivered. And whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact is required. It's that simple. And like I said, with Stamps.com, you get great discounts to $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in friends. That's Stamps.com and enter friends. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And we're back talking to Andrew Newberg, author of How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. From what I understand, we sort of walk around in this kind of neutral to somewhat negative frame of mind. 
Like we're kind of watchful, right? And we have to actually cultivate a positive way of looking at the world. Like it doesn't come naturally. Um, you know, I mean, obviously everybody's built a little differently. Um, you know, some people do have a more optimistic view on life. Um, other people have a more pessimistic view on life. Uh, the evidence shows that actually people who have a more optimistic look on life actually tend to do better <laughs> in the world in terms of their overall health and well-being. Um, so, but, you know, there is evidence to also show that when people do have a bit of a more negative perspective on life, that there are ways of, um, of trying to more purposely bring us into a, a more positive mindset. And, uh, and the more we focus on positive ideas, then the more our brain, again, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more we focus on love and compassion and, and helping others, the more that becomes part of our beliefs and part of our behaviors. Whereas if we focus more on the negative, then, then that becomes more of the way we look at the world. I talked to you about, I wanted to do, uh, replicate the experiment in your book that, that doesn't prove this, I guess, I guess exactly, but does suggest to people how this works. Do you want to take us through it? So, so the experiment is a little experiment um, where basically what we're going to ask each of the listeners to do is to repeat 50 times, either silently or out loud, um, over a period of about two or three minutes, um, the following sentence. The sentence is, the world is filled with loving people. So I'd like everybody to do that about 50 times, and we're going to pause the podcast. Okay, we're back. Okay, so uh, what I want everybody to think about is how do you feel right now, now that you have said this 50 times? Um, what are the emotions that you feel? Uh, do you feel more calm? Um, you know, how are you thinking about things right now? And then should we inflict on them the opposite? <laughs> sure. That's the second part of the experiment, so, right? Yeah. Right, so the second part of the experiment now is for everybody to do something very similar, but I want you to repeat the following sentence. The world is filled with mean, selfish, arrogant, and violent people. We don't want them to do that as long, sure. right? That's, that's mean. Okay. <laughs> that is itself True. mean. Um, but, you know, and, how, but, the, so, so now we can ask everybody, you know, now that they've done that for a minute or two, thinking about mean, horrible people, um, how do they feel? How do you feel now? You know, um, most likely people felt more calm and a, a sense of love and compassion uh, after talking, thinking about the world being filled with loving people. And after they were thinking about being filled with mean and, and violent people, um, a bit of you know, uncomfort, uh, discomfort, irritation, maybe feeling a little angry, maybe feeling your heart rate beating a little bit faster. And again, you know, I mean, simply by repeating these phrases, um, it can change the way your brain is responding to the world around you. And I, I read you talking about how it's sort of dangerous to, to put yourself in that place in a way. Like walking around in fear and negativity is a risky place to be. 
Right. Well, you know, I mean, to bring this into the, the, the world of today, I mean, this is one of the real big problems that we have today because um, there is so much uh, fear and angst, uh, in part because of things that are real, but in part because we keep fostering those negative feelings. You know, I mean, as we deal with a pandemic, as we deal with various, you know, social and political problems, um, you know, if, if we keep focusing on how bad they all are, well, they kind of keep getting worse and worse and worse. You know, I mean, it's the old, the famous um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt line of, you know, nothing to fear but fear itself. But the more we keep fearing, um, the more that fear and anger and upsetness continues. And so for people who keep watching the news and hear how bad everything's getting, well, they're just going to keep feeling everything keeps getting worse. And then when they go to see a friend, they're going to talk about how bad things are. And then, you know, I mean, it just kind of keeps, you know, cycling in a very bad way. Whereas if we say, you know what, I mean, we can, we can get through this. We need to be compassionate. We need to be loving to each other. We need to be optimistic that we will find uh, answers to questions and work together for it. If we focus on that, uh, we certainly have a far more likelihood of getting to an answer and getting to uh, a kind of world that we feel better about. Um, so it, it is, I think, very important for people to to try to find ways of looking at things that are are good and beneficial, uh, and uh, and trying to avoid you know just the continued influx of negative feelings that um, that is so often part of the problem these days. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me on the program. It was it was a real pleasure, and uh, I love talking about all of these various uh, ideas and questions, and uh, and hopefully um, the listeners will have some new ways of thinking about things too. Andrew Newberg's book is called How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. I think I overshared enough in the intro, so I will keep this short. If you are liking the experiment we're doing of a themed season, please consider rating and reviewing wherever it is you get your podcasts and tell your friends. And please take care of yourself. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.